Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Claussen, and today I have Emily Reed on with us. She helps people who struggle with change adapt their exercise, eating, and self-care routines for the different seasons of life. She guides yoga, meditation, and seasonal living programs online and at Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health in Massachusetts. So welcome to the show today, Emily. Thanks, Andrea. So happy to be here and so happy to talk Ayurveda. I always love when I get to be in good company talking about things that I love and that um, that are useful, practical, and helpful. Yes, I love it. And I'm excited that we are connected and um, movement maestro Shante is the one who kind of connected us. So I'm still excited when I saw your Instagram, I was like, I love it. Everything that I like to practice. So this is going to be a rich conversation. I already know it. Yes. Yes. Where do you want to start? Well, I want to know first, I want to kind of tap into your background a little bit with Ayurveda. So how did Ayurveda come into your life? Ooh, this is actually a really good story. And um, I'll tell the listeners that we are recording this in January when the snow is out. So this is also a very apropos (laughs) story for this, but it was winter uh, many years ago now. And I had done yoga teacher training, been exposed to a little bit of Ayurveda, the way that many yoga teacher trainings are, which is very little drop in the bucket, but just understanding that it exists, but I had never had a consultation with anyone. And at the time I was uh, going between three different jobs every day, uh, doing my thing as a yoga teacher, but also nannying and teaching English as a second language. So I was a very, very full scheduled kind of person. And um, the knuckles, the skin on my knuckles was dry and bleeding and nothing at CVS or the pharmacy could help me. Nothing. I tried everything, everything. And so I was like, you know what? I haven't had an Ayurveda consultation before. I'd heard about this woman named Kate O'Donnell, who at the time was also in Boston. She's now since become Ayurveda famous, if you want to call it that. Love her cookbooks, by the way. (laughs) She's awesome. One of my mentors now. But I went to go see her in Boston on a cold December day. And there were two things that I remember that she told me that changed my life. Um, One of them was that she gave me permission to nap which is not very common in Ayurveda, but she gave me permission to nap. And the second thing she told me about was Abhyanga, which I think you've talked about a lot on your podcast, but just in case there are some new listeners today, it's a self-massage with oil. And you basically, the short version of the story is you, you put on oil, not just like get it on, but you really massage it into the joints, the tissues, you get it all over your body. Um, and then you take a shower and you rinse it off. And Kate said, use sesame oil. She said, go find some organic sesame oil, not the toasted stuff. And um, she sent me on my way and I was so desperate. I went home that night and used the toasted stuff in my cabinet. And so I put this stuff all over my body. I took a shower and Andrea, I'll tell you, I slept like a baby, Mm. but I smelled like an egg roll. (laughs) I was going to say, I'm like the smell of that. Mm. Oh, it was very interesting, but I was so desperate to try this and I didn't have time to go to the store. Right. Cause all my three jobs and all this stuff. And the next morning I woke up and I swear it was like, I had made up the story about my hands cracking and bleeding. It was wow. nothing, no evidence whatsoever. Beautiful skin, lovely sleep that night. It was just life-changing. So I was like, oh my gosh, where has this been on my life? 
why didn't I know about it sooner? And so of course I got some regular sesame oil so that I wouldn't have to subject myself or my roommate at the time to the egg roll <laughs> situation. But really that was my transformational like hook into Ayurveda. And it's why we're here today. Gosh, that's amazing. So then after that, like how does, you know, cause you're now at Kripalu, how did that kind of come into the picture? Was that something that you were like, okay, let me study at Kripalu. And then you kind of came there or how did that kind of evolve for you on your journey from three jobs? <laughs> so I did my original yoga teacher training at Kripalu back in 2010. So many, many years ago. And then since then I have done lots of other trainings, both yoga related Ayurveda trainings. And I'm actually taking another training now with Kripalu trained people, um, on Ayurveda. Um, but the long story short is I was teaching yoga. I opened my studio in Medford, Massachusetts. We closed during COVID, unfortunately, but it was also the best worst thing that happened to me because as awful as that was, um, it allows me now to be here in Western Massachusetts, uh, working at Kripalu part-time and still offering all my online programs as well. So for those of you who don't know what Kripalu is, Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health is the largest uh, yoga center in the United States. It's located in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, which is like right on the border between Massachusetts and um, New York. So it's really easy to get to for a lot of us who live in the New England area, but people travel from all over to come mostly because there's a lot of trainings that can happen there, not just yoga trainings, but yoga therapy, uh, trauma-informed yoga, Ayurveda trainings, and other trainings too. People like Dharma Mitra and other famous yogis uh, often will offer retreats there. And so that sometimes draws people in. And it's in a beautiful setting in the Berkshires of Massachusetts, like right looking over Lake Mechanic, which is Stockbridge Mudsey um, uh, sacred lands. Um, they're now in Wisconsin over closer to you, but the, that's the land that Kripalu sits on. And so now I teach there. I teach, uh, there are a couple different ways that you can go to Kripalu. One is to just go for the day as an R&R guest, relax and rela relaxation take yoga classes starting at 630 in the morning, all the way through to eight o'clock at night. And you can go for a mindful hike in the outdoors. Uh, in between, you might get a massage or an Abhyanga treatment uh, from somebody on the staff, or you might take a workshop with me on, on Ayurveda and seasonal self-care practices. There are a whole bunch of other things that you can do there too, but that's just one way that you can go if you're not going for a specific program or a training. So that's what I'm involved in. And um, it's just so much fun because I get to still do the work. I get to be in person with people and I still also get to, to do my online stuff um, as well. I love it. Best of both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to know how do you kind of find balance um, in your own life using Ayurveda? Cause I think that's something that you know, mm. as practitioners, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, you always have it all together. But I, I always think it's so fascinating just to hear, I'm like, here's how I use it. And we all have different areas because Ayurveda is such a vast system that we all have different areas that we're drawn to and that help us find our balance. So what is that kind of for you? So for me, it really comes down to using the logic and principles of Ayurveda in every day. Because we can sit here and talk about like, oh, what is Abhyanga and when you could do it and this and that. But at the end of the day, what's most helpful for most people, including for me, is to use the, the logic and the principles to ask 
ask myself, okay, like what's going on outside, which means what's also going on inside of me and how can I help manage that if, if it needs to be changed and some things don't need to be changed. Right. Um, it's not about always fixing or changing everything. It's just maybe like for me, Ayurveda and practicing in this way, um, using the principles and logic helps me feel more at home in my body and in myself. And um, I did mention the snow, right? I live in New England where we do have four seasons and that's an environment that I thrive in. When I used to live in Mexico for a little while and there were only two seasons, I really missed out on having the the depth of all four seasons. So for me personally, I do love the summer, but like I need all four to be um, feeling at home. That doesn't mean that winter or summer don't challenge me in my body in some ways, right? I'm a very white woman. So going outside in the summertime can be a hazard, you know? (laughs) Um, and, uh, so just using some of these practices, but also really at the root of it is like the logic and the principles of like, it doesn't have to be these Ayurvedic practices that you're using. You can just use the logic and the principles to help uh, feel balanced every day. Love that. Well, I want to know a little bit, and I don't know if I've talked about this in a really long time, the Ayurvedic clock. So this is one that I thought might be a great thing for you to kind of share about and just break down a, what it is. Um, Again, if I have, it's been quite a few years since I've talked about this. So can you explain a little bit about what it is and how maybe it relates to our lives. Yeah. So, you know, we're very familiar with the clock, (laughs) most of us in modern culture, right? And many of us feel like we live by it. Um, So Ayurveda, and you've talked about this before, uh, divides the elements into three different energies or doshas, right? Kapha, Pitta, and Vata. And if you want to think of it just as a reminder to the listeners, like, Kapha is like spring, right? So it's mud season, it's water and earth. Pitta is fire with a little bit of water, but that's really summer season. And then Vata is like fall and winter when it's dry, it's windy, it's cold, all those things that um, many of us have have maybe a little more, more difficulty with. But in addition to dividing the elements this way and dividing the year into these three seasons, Ayurveda divides the day according to these energies. And where this is where I think like on a on a day-to-day basis, in addition to looking at the bigger cycles of like, how am I feeling? It's winter. And or how am I feeling? It's spring. It's like, how am I feeling right now? It's 10 o'clock at night, you know? And there's a lot of wisdom to this Ayurvedic clock. So I will try my best to explain it. And if you want, I can also share a visual and we can find a way to to share that in the the show notes with people so that they can see it. But Ayurveda divides um, the day. Let's just take like the the first half of the day, right? From 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., it's considered the kapha time of day. So think of it like spring. Like what does spring feel like? It's foggy, it's dense, it's slow, right? Mud is like slow and sluggish and it's maybe a little rainy or you can't see straight or you can't think straight. It's foggy, right? And so that's what's really prevalent at that time of day. 
which is why a lot of people like from six to 10 a.m., that's where they're like just getting going and getting started. And maybe they're not super clear thinking quite yet because they're getting all the systems running, right? And so Ayurveda then says, well, what can I do during that time to both honor that natural energy cycle, but also if I need to balance things out, how can I do so? And so what balances kapha? Well, often if you want to think of like food and kapha maybe being like sludge, what cuts through sludge is like bitter, sharp, hot, bright, which is why black tea and coffee are the number one beverage between six and 10 in the morning across the world, right? It's just, this is natural. You're already doing it anyway, right? You're cutting through the sludge. You're trying to get the synapses going with something hot, something bitter, something sharp um, tasting. And so you could just like that, you're like, okay, that explains why I like coffee or tea or whatever it is that you're drinking warm and hot in the morning. But it can also help um, help guide in terms of honoring that that's going to be your energy. And maybe that's not the ideal time for certain kinds of activities. So let's talk about what it might be ideal for. What it might be ideal for is like getting ready for the day, um, a little bit of light movement, uh, to cut through the sludge, right? Cause when you're jumping around, <laughs> the sludge is less sludgy. Um, and that's why if you, want a different way to contextualize movement and exercise, this is, this is it. It's like movement cuts through the morning sludge, probably better than coffee, right? You don't have to give up coffee, but that's the way I like to think about morning movement. Um, and it's a great time for maybe a light meal. You know, you don't want to go too crazy first thing in the morning, but something in your stomach, something in your in your system to move things around so that all the systems start going. What it isn't maybe the best time for most people is like having a really intense work-related meeting with clients, for example. And so this might explain why if you try really hard to have those kinds of meetings at that time of day, maybe they're not as productive or people aren't really there or, you know, the synapses aren't firing. So really honoring that both in yourself, but in, in others. And then if possible, if you're in that position to make some adjustments, you can make some adjustments and maybe you'll have a more productive phone call in the afternoon. And we'll talk about lots of time a day. So then this continues, right? So after 10 a.m., between 10 and 2, it's pitta time. That's when the sun's highest in the sky. It's when there's the most energy, daylight, your metabolism is at its highest. So Ayurveda would say this is great for your biggest meal, which is why if you're working at a desk and eating a salad, you're probably not feeling as nourished, right? Is you can handle a little bit more. Go for it. Um it's also when you have the most energy for most people, right? If you're following in this in this way. And so doing the more difficult tasks is easier this time of day. And so sometimes if you can schedule the things that are a little bit more difficult, like you have to put your head down for it, or um, it just requires a little bit more oomph from you, um, you'll have more success with it. 
And then in the afternoon between 2 and 6 p.m., it's vata time, which is the, the winter, right? The dry, the cold, but it's also the windy, which is mobile, we say in Ayurveda. And movement begets conversation and socializing, like, right? It's like a natural time for those things. As a mommy picking up a kid after school, you probably know. It's like very conducive to that. Um, it's a great time for creative tasks. If you can put them in that time of day, you might have an easier time doing them and they might come more naturally. And it's also a great time to have your last meal somewhere in and around 6 PM, which I know is hard for some people, but that's, that's the Ayurvedic, um, way. And so what happens after 6 PM is that this whole cycle repeats itself in the evening. So between 6 and 10 p.m., it's kapha time again. You get a little slower. You get a little sluggish. Your brain's a little foggy again. Like maybe not a good time to like, oh, got to get back to work. You know, after I picked up the kid from school, it might be harder to do those kinds of things again because you're basically your body's trying to get ready for bed. And so a little meditation, reflection, prepare for sleep, prepare for the next day, really refresh your senses after the day that you've had in order to prepare for sleep. Those are the kinds of things that are ideal that time of day. And then my favorite time to talk about 10 PM to 2 AM in the morning, it's pitta time again. And you're like, well, pitta time. Well, the last time it was pitta time, I was doing lots of things in the, during the day I was eating my biggest meal. Well, so you're supposed to be asleep during this time. And a lot of metabolic processes, deep metabolic processes happen while you sleep, but only if you're asleep, <laughs> right? So there's this like deeper digestion. It's not just about your digestive system. It's about your brain and your liver and all these things that are happening. And so, so there's a lot of energy that your body is using to do all this work. In fact, my meditation teacher, Lauren Roche would say, sleep is so intense nature knocks you out. It's like, you can't be here for this. I got work to do. <laughs> right. And so this is the time when you're supposed to be asleep. And it's also why when people aren't asleep after like 1030 or so, they tend to say they've got their second wind. Everybody gets a second wind if they're up at 1030 at night, because all of a sudden all that energy is up in your bot, in your system, your pit is rearing to go, but you're supposed to be knocked out for it. Right. And so this is when people get hungry again, if they're still awake. Right. But if you're asleep, it's not a problem. So it's also why then you'll be awake for a while, sometimes two hours, maybe even until 2am. Um, and so Honestly, this piece of the puzzle, this sleepy time, 10 to 2 a.m., 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., is often when I talk with clients about timing and routine, like this is like an aha moment of like, oh, if I can just put my body into bed before, like somewhere around 10, maybe I have a chance of like actually not just getting the amount of rest, but getting like the quality of rest and allowing for my body to do the things that it needs to do at night without disrupting the rest of my day, because then I'm awake until who knows when. Right. So this one, that's why it's my favorite thing to talk about, but just to round out the rest of the clock. So after 2 AM between two and 6 AM, it's lots of time of day again. 
Um, and remember I mentioned this was like the social and creative time. Well, this is technically still also, most people are still asleep, but some people will start to wake up towards the end of it. Like maybe you automatically wake up at like 5am to go pee. Right. And in some of those moments, um, are some people who are creatives and artists and maybe writers, they're writing a book. I know you've written a few of them. I don't know about you, but this is a time of day when a lot of writers and artists will get a lot of their creative work done. Not just because people are leaving them alone, (laughs) but because it is a natural time for these things, right? So you're not socializing in the way that you were in the afternoon, but you're like creative in the same way. And uh, the brain is going, juices are flowing. And it's an ideal time to wake up just before you get back into that kapha, groggy, springy, foggy time of day at 6 a.m. And so ideally you're waking up somewhere around 6, 6.30. If you wait until 7, that's when you're waking up feeling tired and like sluggish. And you might blame it on the number of hours of sleep that you got, but really it might just be like the rhythm. And just not starting at 10 so that you can actually have a chance to, to feel more uh, functional and awake. So that's my really short version of the Ayurvedic clock. And I could talk about it all day long. So feel free to ask questions. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I have two that kind of came through. One, the so when people are listening, they might have just had some ahas between the 10 and 2 at night. You're supposed to be sleeping. And then hormone health. Cause I think sometimes we think like, okay, I'm just, I'm doing all the right things. I'm eating the right things, taking the supplements, but maybe they're going to bed at two and they're really having a tough time with their hormones. Um, is that something that you can share a little bit more about if people are kind of feeling like, wow, that I, I should actually be sleeping versus, you know, staying up until two. Yeah. So I want to preface this by saying, A, I'm not a mom, so I don't have (laughs) the sleep deprivation and the kid cycles that come with that. Although I am an aspiring mother, so we're working on it. Um, And B, I'm not as well versed on the hormone stuff as you might be. So I'll lean on you a little bit. But what I can share is that all of the cells in the body and especially the hormones have a, a rhythm. And many of us think, oh, like it's a circadian rhythm, like every day, but often it's actually an infradian rhythm where infradian means that it happens in a less than 24 hour cycle. And so some cells have like a six hour cycle or a, you know, and they're doing different things throughout the day on top of like the 24 hour cycle that we think of as circadian and related to sunlight. And so with the hormones and with sleep, Like if you're not getting, giving your body a chance to go through all of those deep metabolic processes at night, those things sometimes get skipped because you're not asleep for them. And so they never happen. And then they throw off the whole rest of the thing. And so whatever happened the night before then throws off the whole rest of the thing. And then you're like, oh, but I'm a night owl, but really you're not, you're just not getting to bed on time (laughs) for all of these things to actually happen. Um, and it's a funny conversation because when I met my husband, he was like, oh yeah, I'm a night owl. I'm like, yeah, everybody says that until they realize that it's, it's, it's just that they're awake too late, you know, and then they have that extra energy. Um, so I don't know if that helped answer your question, but it's not 
just hormones. It's, it's a lot of cellular functions and it's a lot of brain functions and liver functions and all of which, as you know, is interconnected, um, with the hormones as well. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and I could speak to that too, from just having worked with clients who have long-standing sleep issues from kiddos, you know, who, you know, I have a client who's got an eight-year-old who still struggles to sleep through the night and that affects her sleep. And that's eight years of sleep deprivation. And that's, that's where you, you know, she noticed it right away after a year or two, but then, you know, eight years of it, it's almost like that becomes your new norm. And so, you know, that's where she was like, wow, I'm really finding that balance again. Cause he's starting to make some strides here. And so she was realizing how behind the eight ball. And then it affects like she gets sick more often than other clients of mine, because you're, you're not getting your rest, you know, and sleep is a big part of that. So if you're constantly like, oh man, I'm always sick. Um, and that will, I can just share from my son's experience too. Cause he, um, hopefully at the time of this coming out, he will have his tonsils out and mostly because it's having sleep apnea issues. And I, I talked to the doctor about it and he's like, nope not until boys are 11, are they going to get smaller? But his little tonsils are so big. They're like almost touching, you know, the, the spot right in the middle and he snores so much. And so for him, like he's got bags under his eyes and like, he's not getting restful sleep. And so it's really affecting him and he's not getting that REM. And I can tell which nights he, he was up based on his little, you know, he'll get cranky and he's not a cranky kid. And so that's where I'm like, man, all of that, you can see how important those sleep and those hours and you know, it just repairs so much for the body. And he was sick. I mean, from September until December, like basically for months. And, I, and I'm sure it's just because his body was not able to recover because he wasn't getting that sleep. So that's one way that I've seen it too, kind of personally, you know, with clients and with my son. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm not advocating at all for less than eight hours of sleep if, because for most people they need that. But for a lot of um, clients of mine that are parents and have this like either built up or even if their kids are a little older, they still had several years of sleep deprivation that they're they're working with. And the tendency can be as, as your child's schedule shifts and you have a little bit more space not to have to wake up and breastfeed in the middle of the night, that that some some parents will then go back to bed after that 5.30 a.m. wake up. So the 5.30 a.m. wake up I'm talking about is like the natural, like you wake up and you go pee, like your your body woke you up, right? And then depending on your children's schedule, you may have the ability to either go back to bed right then or a little bit later. And what I would say is try, if this is you, try to just get up. Because even if you had less than eight hours of sleep, if you end up waking up during the kapha time of day, you feel worse. And then that actually also is almost as bad as like not sleeping between 10 and two, because it, it throws you off even more and then makes it less likely that you'll be in bed sleeping by 10 o'clock that night. So it's something that you can try, um, and see if it works for you. But I find that for many people, especially in that early stages of motherhood, phase or not early, early, but like toddler and and up, if they focus more on like consistently waking up around or close to six o'clock as possible and not going back to sleep, then it's less about how many hours they've got. As long as you get up and go and also get those like between 10 and two hours of sleep together. And the weekends as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause <laughs> one day of a different schedule throws the whole thing off, which is why Mondays are so hard for people. That's, yeah. I know. That's where people are like, you're going to bed. It's Saturday night and it's not even 10 o'clock. I'm like, I know this is, I'm, this is my thing. Like I have always been an early to bed person since like I was little. My mom didn't have to worry about that, but I know if, like my husband is the same. He's a night owl still. And like, he'll be up till two or three or, you know, four. Sometimes I'm like, are you coming to bed? And so like, and that's just where, and he works late. And this was kind of, I was going to kind of circle back to this too, with the clock. And it was something I was thinking about. I ironically last night, um, I'm like, man, what did my parents do now? My dad was a farmer, so he kind of sets his own schedule, but obviously the animals aren't going to feed themselves in the morning. And then my mom was a stay at home mom, but she had to get us kids up. So we would have sporting events and we lived in a small town. So we're driving an hour or so to get to the sporting event. So we're coming home late. And that's, I'm sure a lot of people listening are like, what do I do when that's my schedule? You know, I'm, I want to go to my kids activities. The activities are at night during that coffee time. I'm sitting in a bright lit gym watching, we'll just say basketball because that's what's coming to me right now. And, you know, how do we kind of navigate that with our life duties and still honor, you know, some of these Ayurvedic Mm. practices? That's a really great question. And I think the, the first thing that comes to mind is your eating schedule, because not outside of daylight and sun sunrise and sunset, when, when you eat tells your body what time it is. And so having a, as consistent as possible of an eating time every day can help your body set the clock. So, you know, maybe it's not your kid eating at six, but maybe you're eating at six before you go to watch the event so that you've taken care of your food time so that you're not coming home and eating at nine o'clock at night, because you want at least two hours of no food time before you go to bed. And then that would put you at 11 o'clock. And then not only are you wide awake, but you're also not able to digest the food, you know, that you have in your stomach because you ate so late. So if you as the parent can maybe shift your food schedule, so you're eating something nourishing, even a light, small meal earlier on, and then, you know, spend that time with your your kids at night, whether it's watching their events or shuffling back and forth. Yeah. It's not ideal, but it's probably going to help your system tell you, tell you what time it is better because of the food, um, timing. Um, I think that's the thing is like the eating at nine o'clock at night after all the games, it's not helping your kid, but it's certainly definitely not helping you either. So, um, and again, I'm not a parent. So like whatever you're doing, they're still alive. You're still alive. It's great. (laughs) And like, if you notice that maybe you can do something about it, or you can try something a little different, like experiment for a week and see how it works with you eating something nourishing, not a cold salad in the middle of winter, but like something nourishing, you know, around six or even a little bit earlier. And some people are like, Oh, but I'll get hungry. And I'm like, only if you're awake until 10 o'clock at night. (laughs) You know, you really don't get hungry again after that, unless you're working out or like really expending energy after. So, um, I would say, give that a try and let me know. Cause I really want to know if it works. Yeah. I mean, I can just think of my parents usually would have their bag of popcorn and pop watching the game and I don't know if they ate or not. Maybe they ate afterwards. I doubt they ate after, um, you know, I didn't eat, but we as a team ate before our game. 
which now knowing what I know about nutrition, I'm like, man, I don't know how we played because the parents would make us like lasagna and spaghetti. And then you'd go out and play a basketball game an hour later, which is just crazy. But I know that's, that's again, probably Midwest and small town. Like that's what you've got to get us, feed us and then try to be productive on the court. Um, so yeah. And then minimizing the number of times a week that this is actually happening, you know, because if you're in charge of your schedule in some ways or in charge of your kid's schedule in some ways, like often your kids will appreciate not also not having that kind of a schedule seven days a week. And so, you know, if it happens once or twice, like it's less of a thing than if it happens seven days a week that you're, you know, running around and then eating at nine o'clock. And so, yeah, making some choices there can be tough, but it, it might, might be helpful. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to know um, a little bit about seasonal shifts. Cause that's something else that you're super passionate about. And so as this is airing, you know, it's, it's may. And so we're kind of in that, you know, cusp of transition from that spring to the summer season. So for you, is this a hard transition usually, or is this a smooth transition? And then what are some ways, you know, cause we're both from cold weather States. So this typically for us is a more intense transition. Um, so what are some tips for people who might have that harsh, like, Hey, you know, it could be 30 degrees or lower. And then the next day it could be 80. How can we deal with that? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think for me, I love the spring, um, in new England, we call it mud season because (laughs) basically it's, um, all the mud that's around. So that works with the the kapha that we um, consider in Ayurveda. But then going from that to summer, you know, especially in these Northern places that you and I both live, it's like summer can feel so prized and precious because it is much shorter than the fall and winter season that feels like can sometimes last forever. Um, and so my number one tip for that is patience. Because what I see happening and what I see throwing both me in the past and and other people off is that they're not patient. And so they'll eat foods that they think are summer foods way too early before they're in season, before they're at the farmer's market and then down the street, Um, you know, they'll be eating strawberries in May. And I'm like, it's unless you're living in the Southern States, strawberries are not in season in May. (laughs) They're in season in like late June, right? Or watermelon, like watermelon takes forever to ripen. If you've ever been a farmer or tried to do a watermelon, you know how long it takes. And so there's a reason for that. So if you're eating watermelon in June, like it's, it's too early. So really patience and in this sense of like, be happy and wait for foods to be in their season so that you can really relish them and enjoy them. Because there's so many great foods in the spring and summer that are in season that we can't get fresh any other time of year, especially in the Northern States that we live in. So really enjoy them and relish them for the, even if it's like two weeks of strawberries and then another two weeks of watermelon and two weeks of tomatoes. Like it's great. That's awesome. You're still getting variety in your diet. You're just not eating 500 different variations of everything in one day, right? You're eating them over the course of the year. And so that's my biggest tip is like patience. Um, and my nephew, when he was little, my, my, uh, sister-in-law would say, be patient. What does patience mean? And he said, be happy and wait. <laughs> 
And so it's just be happy and wait for foods to be in their season. Um, the other thing is that as you enter, as we all enter into pitta time of year, that fiery time of year, it can get really intense really quickly. Right. And so the opposite of intensity is really mellow and moderation. Right. So just because it's intense in the summer and it's warm out doesn't mean you have to like go for a 35 mile an hour, 35 mile jog every day. Like you don't, yes, you're going to want to be more active, but it doesn't mean you have to do super vigorous activity every day all the time. Cause it's just going to make everything even more intense. The same could be said with food, right? Mellow and moderation, like moderate amounts, but also moderate types of food. Um, nothing too spicy, not anything too intense so that you're keeping yourself relatively in that middle zone of like not feeling the sway of like 30 degrees one day to 85 the next. Um, and the other thing that I love in the summertime is, um, really leaning on herbs because they are more available fresh. And so get in as many of those cooling, refreshing herbs as you can when they start popping up and you can easily put some in a pot, you know, regardless of where you live and have some pretty close to home that you have. And as they're ready and um, use them in your kitchen, use them in your teas. Uh, Some of my favorites for the summertime are um, coriander seed, uh, cardamom, parsley, any of the many mint family things, including lavender and um, hyssop and lemon balm and all the things. Calendula is one of my favorites too. Um, So yeah, get creative with that. Um, And the last thing I'll say about summer and especially the transition, and this could actually be true any time of year, but I find it's more helpful, most helpful for people in the summer is to follow the moon and watch the sunset because watching the sun rise and set every day also helps your body know what time it is. And so in the summer, when you're more likely to want to be outside and the temperatures are such that you can be outside when the sun is setting, like go look, watch it, like watch it actually go down And that like downward energy of your eyes even will help be one of them things that helps you prepare for sleep because the tendency is to like stay up extra late in the summer, just not a problem, but like just being a little bit more in tune with the natural rhythms around you can just be very helpful. And then the moon part is moon bathing. So when it's like the week or so leading up to the full moon, it's ideal. You get outside and expose as much of your skin as you feel comfortable for at least half an hour, you know, you're sitting by the fire maybe, or you're out on the dock. If you have a access to a lake, um, go sit and watch the moon and stars and give yourself the, it's basically a reflection of the sun's uh, rays, but in a cooling uh, reflection. And so that coolness can help with all the intensity and heat and lots of extra light and sunshine that as wonderful as it is in the summer can also really be um, harsh. Those are great tips. Okay. Well, we've chatted for a while. So I want to know a little bit more about your own 
programs, your seasonal programs in particular. So you have some spring and fall um, programs. Can you share a little bit about those and um, what people might find in them? Yeah. So I find that the hardest seasonal shifts are in the from winter to spring and then from summer to fall, right? After the glory of summer, it's really hard to shift into fall. And then also after the the heaviness of winter, it's hard to shift into spring. And so at those two junctures, I run two different programs. One is a three-day mind-body reset, which is a really sort of a a quick shot of like, hey, how do I shift my self-care and and exercise routine um, for the new season? a little bit of a reminder of like food stuff that can also be helpful and herbs and and teas and things like that. I usually share recipes um, and we'll do some practices together that are balancing for that season, whether it's moving into spring or moving into fall. And then usually a few weeks after that, I'll do a 10 day Ayurvedic community cleanse. Um, and this is something that I, I've been working with Kate O'Donnell. I mentioned her, she's the cookbook author and she's been running these programs for years. And so she's trained several of us to also lead them. And so I'll lead them in the fall for 10 days and in the spring. And basically it's, um, it's a mono diet or a reset more than it is a cleanse. So you're, you're eating. In fact, you're allowed to eat as much as you want or need, um, but you're eating a mono diet to give your body a chance to reset and um, not have to manage all these different foods. Like I was saying, like all the foods come online or you go to the store and it's like, oh, I can eat all the things, but really your body has a harder time adjusting uh, to those seasonal shifts. And so we usually do five days of kitchery or another mono diet, depending on, on what you're doing. Uh, doing, um, and then some prep before and, and integrating after. So it ends up being like a 10 day program and we do it online, but we do it together. So it doesn't feel like you're alone a lot of times. And I'm sure some of your listeners know that like when you're practicing a lifestyle, like Ayurveda, sometimes it can feel a little lonely because you might be the only one in your household that really is following this diet or lifestyle, or you might be your only, the only one in your friend group or community, And as much as you feel the benefit of all of the ways that you're doing this lifestyle for yourself, um, it might not necessarily line up with what the people around you are doing. And so that can sometimes be really challenging too. So having a community where we're all in it together um, can really be helpful. And so I do the three-day reset, mind-body reset, and then the 10-day community cleanse at those two times of year. And then I offer, uh, you know, asana classes online. I have a membership and then I'll do, um, workshops and things, um, each season on a specific topic. So I'm doing other online stuff as well, but those are my, my two big programs at the seasonal shift time of year. And then where can people find you? What's your website? Yeah, it's seasonalintentions.com. And I'm on Instagram also at seasonalintentions underscore. And I love connecting with people. So uh, feel free to DM me and tell me that you heard this podcast and you want to just say hi. And um, other outside of the Ayurveda thing, even though I think it's all connected to, I love talking about astrology. So if you do DM me, like tell me when you're your birthday was, we can have a nice little chat about that. And, um, astrology is just another great way to think about the seasons and the energies and, and when's a good time for certain things. So just like the Ayurvedic clock, like we talked about today. Oh, I love it. I love it. 
Well, I just have one final question for you, Emily. I would yeah. love to know what your weekly challenge to the listeners is going to be this week. Oh, I didn't get a chance to mention it when you asked about the shifting into summer, but here, here goes. My challenge to you listeners is to not drink ice water for a week. Uh, even though it's getting warmer as this airs, um, stick with room temperature or even a little warmer water. And remember in the morning, you want warm beverages anyway, right? So people who are like, I don't drink hot beverages. I'm like, yes, you do. <laughs> um, it's been one of the things that has been life-changing about the Ayurvedic approach of, of not quashing the, the digestifier with ice. Um, and in the summertime, the digestifier has a hard time because there is so much fire and sunshine in the air. And so you might not be as hungry as, as usual and other times of year. And so if you're adding ice water to that, it just makes it even harder. So my challenge, try it, just skip the ice, you know, cool or lukewarm. It just takes a little bit to get used to if you're not used to it, but, um, it, your, your body will appreciate it. Yes. It's one of my favorites. I don't do ice water. And my husband does like he bought an ice machine because he was like, I need ice water. <laughs> and he's, I've made him put it in the basement. So it's in our basement. And then <laughs> my son, he knows I don't like it either. And he'll only in the summer, will he ever get ice cubes in his water? He's like, I need my crispy cold water. I'm like, oh, Jalen, I'm like, that's going to aggravate your doshas. And those are one, those are little ways that I teach like, you know, my seven-year-old mm -hmm. about Ayurveda. Um, cause sometimes I have people, how can you teach that to little kids? And those are just little ways. Like he knows, okay, if I'm going to have this, I got to make sure, you know, I'm going to stay in balance. How am I balancing that out? And he usually will only do it if he's really hot coming from outside playing. So like, that's, you know, little ways like that, that you can teach, you know, kiddos of how to adapt, you know, an Ayurvedic lifestyle. And then they're not always going to listen. Cause does he want ice cream in the middle of January? For sure. So Yeah. Why not? Well, technically it's not all that bad because it is milk and creaminess season in it January, is. but it is more ideal for, for summer, for sure. Um, oh, I love that story about the ice machine. Yeah. You know, and for, for anybody who is out there listening or just joining the podcast new, and maybe hasn't really been a part of the Ayurveda conversation for very long, like it's not just Ayurveda that feels this way about ice. Uh, Asian cultures don't like they think ice water is bad for you. Like ice is really a way to preserve food for a little bit longer, uh, which is a great resource for all of humanity and modernization. But that's really where I feel like it, it shines. It doesn't need to be in the water. You know, Europeans also, I'm, I'm from Switzerland originally, you don't get served ice unless, unless you ask for it. And then you may or may not actually get it. So many, many cultures, don't believe that ice water or iced beverages are really helpful or a thing. Um, so, you know, maybe get on the the bandwagon with everybody else and, and try it. Just try it. Sure. It's delicious. Yeah. You have a Berkey. That's what I have a Berkey and just leave it on our counter and it's room temperature and it's great. And I love it. Highly recommend. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Emily, for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us today. Oh, you're welcome. It was my pleasure. And um, let me know how the uh, challenge goes. And if you guys have questions about the Ayurvedic clock, or we can figure out a way to get a visual in front of people, because sometimes that's helpful. 
Perfect. Well, thank you again. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power.